0: James Version. And Moses went up to God, and the Lord called to him from the mountain, saying, Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob, and tell the children of Israel, You have seen what I did to the Egyptians, and how I bore you on eagles' wings, and brought you to myself. Now therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice, and keep my covenant, then you shall be in special treasure to me above all people, for the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words which you shall speak to the children of Israel. So Moses came and called for the elders of the people and laid before them all the words which the Lord had commanded him. And the people answered together and said, all that the Lord has spoken, we will do. So Moses brought back the words of the people to the Lord. Our God calls us to live holy lives. Be holy, God says, for I am holy. We spent some time last week talking about the holiness of God and what that entails, that everything that he touches becomes holy. Everything he's going to put his name on is holy. And how we ought to treat that with a measure of reverence and a measure of specialness, a measure of sacredness, because of the fact that everything that God does in his nature, by his nature, is holy. But what does that mean that he says, be holy for I am holy? I understand that he wants something for me and for my life. And that's what we intend to study about this morning from Exodus chapter 19 and from the studies that or from the chapters that follow. Let me use this illustration on the beginning because I think it's going to make some sense to us as we try and understand what holiness is. This is a class one clean room. Clean rooms didn't exist until well, within the last maybe 50, 75 years because they hadn't really ever been needed before. But this is a class one clean room, and what that means is it's a set-apart place that you can go and find a room that's on average about 14 million times cleaner than uh, the room that you find just outside your window or here in this building, 14 million times And the way that they achieve that, I'm going to have to check my notes here, is because they have to hermetically seal these rooms and they fit fit them with a number of different air filters through which the air is pumped. The room can only be accessed through a number of decontamination procedures such as air showers and uh, airlocks. What happens is is the people that want to enter these rooms have to come in and uh, be completely covered in special protective clothing so that they don't contaminate the area. These are rooms that are designed, set apart, for a very special purpose. What do you use a clean room for? Scientists often use clean rooms in order to study infectious diseases, infectious viruses. I imagine the COVID vaccine was developed in a clean room somewhere, uh, somewhere in our country. And you find things like the cell phone in your pocket, the microchips, the inner procedures, the, the workings of that machine are created and perfected in a room that's clean from dirt and from dust. And you say, Andy, what does that have to do with holiness? This is a room that's set apart for a specific purpose, and it's a room that's set apart from contaminants so that these things can be done for a specific and a very special purpose. When we talk about our lives as Christians, and we talk about this word holiness... What we're talking especially about is being set apart from sin and being devoted to a particular purpose. Because that's the reason and that's the definition of this word holy. It has two components. The first one is that you are separate from sin. contaminants, Things that might cause defilement. Things that might cause you to be impure. Things that might cause you to be unclean. God gives an entire list of those things all throughout the Old Testament, especially in the book of Exodus, Leviticus, and into Deuteronomy. What does it mean to be separate from sin? It means I say no to the things that are abhorrent to a holy God. Our God is holy, therefore I want to be holy like him because that's what he commands me to be. That's the first component, separateness from sin. The second aspect of holiness is devotion for a special purpose like that clean room, devotion to God's glory. Folks, it's not enough just to be separate from sin. It's not enough to just say no to the things that I know are wrong. However, what I do with that empty void, that space that's created by those things that I willingly give up for the sake of knowledge of God, is I fill them with the things that are actually pleasing to God. That's what it means to be devoted to God's glory. And notice how both of these components are in the aspect of understanding God as a holy God. God cannot touch sin. God cannot commit sin and still be God. We know that it's impossible for God to lie, Titus chapter 1 and verse 2. And as God is separate from sin, everything God does is for his own glory. How does God call himself a jealous God? There in Exodus chapter 20. It's not a vicious jealousy. It's not a, I hate you because you have something that I want because I don't have it. I hate you because it. But it's a virtuous jealousy that God wants to keep his holiness God is devoted to glorifying and being glorified for his holiness. Those two aspects of holiness have to be in place, being separate from sin and being devoted to God's glory. When God says, pursue peace with all men and holiness without which no one will see the Lord, what's he talking about? He says he wants his people to be separate from sin and devoted to his glory To pursue that with our lives. That tells me about something that's holiness. Holiness is two things it's separate from sin and devoted to God's glory, but it's also a position, something that God puts us in. It's a place where God says, I'm going to pick you up out of the world, I'm going to cleanse you off, I'm going to clean you off. That's the process of what we call sanctification. I'm going to make you clean. You know, you find a penny that's out there in the dirt and you pick it up. First thing you do is you take it inside and you start scrubbing on it and put a little soap on it. You're cleansing, you're sanctifying, so to speak, that penny. Then you wash it off and you take that penny because it's been cleansed and you put it in a special place. That's the, per, that's the place of holiness. But the pursuit of holiness is what our lives are all about. It's following after what pleases God for the rest of our lives, that which is separate from sin and devoted to his glory. Let me give you six aspects of holiness that we can liken to this clean room that we're talking about this morning. Ways that God hasn't put us in a clean room. I mean, I wouldn't, I, I'm not saying anything about the auditorium or the cleanliness thereof, but this is not necessarily a clean room. But what we understand is what God has done for us in our hearts is He's taken us and He's cleansed our hearts from sin and He's put us in this special position so that we can, as Christians, live holy lives devoted to His glory. What does that mean? What's the process by which He does that? How is that like our clean room that we're talking about this morning? Understand this number one, a desire is needed. A desire is needed. I tell my font didn't transfer over, so please don't let that distract you. If you're looking at the screen, if that distracts you, just look down and say, this is Andy, okay? (laughs) There you go. You don't need any other reason. Hey, desire is needed. Parker read for us this morning from Exodus chapter 19. This is the beginning of God creating his holy people. And notice that what God begins with is how he led Israel out of Egypt. You know what? As God would refer back to Egypt time and time again, what it becomes for him and for the prophets is a high watermark of what he had done in his greatness in bringing these people out of slavery and putting them in a special position where they could have a relationship with him. And all throughout the Old Testament, you find God referring back and saying, you remember how I brought you out of Egypt. You remember how I bore you on eagle's wings. What does he want? He wants us to be impressed with his power. He wants us to look at him and say, this is the God that can do things. This is the only true and living God, not like those gods of the Egyptians that couldn't do anything about the plagues that were befalling the nation. And that God who decimated that country and that economy is the God who works on behalf of you and me. I want to belong to him. And as God there in Exodus chapter 19 talked about his greatness there in Egypt and his greatness over the Egyptians, notice what he said to the children of Israel, verse 4. You have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice, here's conditions of becoming a holy person, holy person, if you indeed will obey my voice and keep my covenant, then you shall be, notice these things, a special Treasure to me above all the people, for all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. Israelites, I'm going to take you out of this rich, and I'm going to put you in this place of holiness, like I'm holy, because I'm going to be your God. And everything that you're going to do, you're going to devote yourself to following after and, 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 and accomplishing my will here on earth and representing me as a light to the Gentiles and the light to all those other people that I haven't chosen. And as he calls them and says, this is what I'll do, I'll make you this special treasure. I'll make you this kingdom priest. I'll make you this holy nation. Israel now has an opportunity to say, yes, we will or no, we won't. Men, when you propose marriage to your wife, hopefully you had a good idea that she was going to say yes, right? Got down on one knee, took that ring and said, honey, I love you. I want you to know that I want to spend the rest of my life with you. I want to be your husband. Will you marry me? She has an opportunity at that point to say, no way, Jose, just been with you because well, you just look good on my arm. Or she has the opportunity to say, yes, this is God extending his hand and saying, will you be my people? And notice what Israel answers here, verse 8. All the people that answers together said, all that the Lord has spoken, we will do. Israel chose and they said, yes, we will be your people, O God. Friends, when you, the gospel came to your doorstep, when the word of God was opened, and you were shown exactly what God wants us to do and how he can, through Jesus Christ and through his blood of just what we sang just a few moments ago, have you been washed in the blood of the lamb? What God through Jesus has done is said, here's my greatness. It's on display. Open up. Read about it. See how Jesus, the word, in the beginning was the word and the word became, uh, was with God and the word was God. The word became flesh, John chapter 1 verse 14, and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory as the only one begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. And we looked and we said, yes, I want to believe. Yes, I do believe in Jesus. Yes, I want to be obedient. That's part of it. That desire compelled us to make a choice. God held out his hand and said, I want you to be mine. Through the blood of Jesus, you can. What's in each one of us is a desire to say, Yes, I want the blessings and the benefits of living under the protection of the Almighty God. Yes, I want the benefits and the protection of living as His people every day. Yes, I want the hope that Jesus gives through His blood. Yes, I want the promise of what's coming in, in the future. Yes. Nobody's going to go into a clean room unless they have the desire to do so. Nobody's going to come into Christ and do a relationship with God, a holy relationship, unless they have the desire. Number two, access is limited. Desire is needed, but access is limited. This is the part that we don't like to much talk about. Is the gospel for all? Nod your head. Yes, it is. The gospel is for Everyone. However, access is limited to those who will obey. Look at verse five one more time. Here's the conditions as we mentioned. Now, therefore, God says, "If you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, my covenant then I will be, or then you will shall be a special treasure to me above all the people." What was the responsibility of Israel to obey? to keep the covenant and God as he took them and he moved them out of this defiled position out of this common position and set them apart holiness and put them in this position what was their responsibility then were they completely free of obligation were they completely free of responsibility as God's holy people hey God's made us holy so he can go out and do whatever we want it wasn't it was the fact that this was the beginning of them becoming holy, but then their responsibility every day as Israelites, as children of Abraham, as heirs of the promise, was to pursue that holiness, the things that God was pleased with, to obey His voice, and to keep His covenant. One more time, we bring it back to marriage. Wife says yes, or the woman says yes. Now your husband, or now your fiance, right? Your your uh, your your. Uh, engaged to be wedded and then after the I do now we've got a husband who's joined to a wife and that relationship if you will has been made sacred it's been made holy why because the holy God has joined it together what God has joined together let no man put asunder that mean the husband is done with his obligation to his wife and the wife is done with her obligation to her husband all right honey I'll see you later I may be back six months a year There's a responsibility to keep that covenant. What God expected for his people on this occasion was not a one-and-done obedience, but a we will dwell in this responsibility and this relationship together because that's what we have agreed to. That's what we've entered into when we cut the covenant together. And God's saying access is limited to those people who will obey the rules of the clean room. To those people who will obey the rules, the voice of a holy God. Notice this number three. There has to be a price that's paid. There has to be a price that's paid for cleanliness, for holiness. Exodus chapter 19, verse 10. After the people had agreed and said yes, so to speak. God says, the Lord said to Moses... Go to the people and consecrate them. Set them aside. Set them apart. Today and tomorrow, let them wash their clothes. I imagine that was probably an uncommon occurrence, don't you? Out there at the base of Mount Sinai, they sat there for 18 months while they received the law of the Lord, a year and a half. While they received his law, and here's God saying, what I want you to do before we enter into this covenant together, I want the people to go home and I want them to wash their clothes. Verse 11, let them be ready for the third day, for on the third day the Lord will come down on the Mount Sinai in the group of all the people, and you shall set bounds for the people, saying, take heed to yourselves that you do not go up to the mountain or touch its base. Whoever touches the mountain shall surely be put to death. Not a hand shall touch it, but he shall surely be stoned or shot with an arrow. Whether man or beast, he shall not live. And when the trumpet sounds long, then they shall come near to the mountain. Look at what Moses did there in verse 14. Moses went down from the people and sanctified them. He's setting them apart for a particular purpose so that they can become God's chosen people. So that they can become holy, as it were. There has to be a price to be paid. Going back to our illustration of the clean room. Well, (laughs) Let's go to your room, right? Have kids, have kids at home or maybe did. This past week, our backyard, our front yard has been a soup. I don't know about yours. Our kids yesterday uh, had to go out to the soccer fields and play soccer. Audrey was the only one that got to play that yesterday morning, but there was massive puddles and it was fun to watch, you know, when the ball went in there because they would start kicking and kicking and kicking and they're getting each other all wet and, you know, getting mud and slinging mud everywhere. And you understand that as those kids are preparing to come into the house, You as a mom or dad say, stop right there. There is no way that you are coming into this house with those muddy clothes. Maybe that only happens in my house, I don't know. But you understand that there is a price that has to be paid. What is it? It's the shedding of those clothes. It's leaving behind something. It's setting aside something for a particular purpose. When you find and understand That there's a price to be paid because God cannot tolerate uncleanness. God cannot continue with that which is a defilement and that which is contrary to his nature. That which is unclean. That which is, opposite of holy, defiled. I've got to turn around and leave those things behind. Friends, there's a reason... Why? Romans chapter 12 and verse 9 says, Let love be without hypocrisy. Abhor that which is evil and cling to that which is good. Why? Because that's the nature of God. Because that's who He is. He's the God that's not going to have any part with evil. How about me and my life? How about the type of relationships I cultivate? How about the type of words I use? How about the types of ways that I behave? Abhor that which is evil and cling to that which is good. There's a shedding, a moving off of that which is defiled towards God and an embracing of that which is clean, pure, holy, set apart. That's the God who calls us. There's a price that has to be paid. Understand that there is also, that it's a, there's a standard that's established. Immediately after this, we find the hallmark chapter of the Bible, or one of them. Exodus 20, Ten Commandments. Ten Commandments, Exodus chapter 20. And as you find God beginning to talk to his people about what it means to live in holiness, he mentions and begins with, You shall have no other gods before me. Don't worship anything else. What does he say in the New Testament? 1 John five seventeen. Little children, keep yourselves from idols. Colossians chapter 3 and verse 5 stay away from covetousness which is idolatry that which is abhorrent that which doesn't accord with a life that's living and lived in holiness there's a standard that's established make no graven images respect my name honor father and mother don't murder don't uh, don't commit adultery don't steal don't uh, don't bear false witness don't covet your neighbor's things. All of those things, God says, these are rules for dwelling in this relationship with me. These are ways that you distinguish yourselves as set apart, as holy. Friends, we, our theme for the year is shine. You want to be shining the way God wants you to, you've got to be holy the way that he is. You've got to follow after that and pursue that the way that he does. Because we're never going to shine the way God wants us to unless we understand something about the God we serve but also the God that calls us to shine the way that he shines. There's a standard that's established. And friends, the more we go back to the standard, the word of God, and look into it and say, I see the ways that I'm not behaving and not following after this faithfully. I see the way that I'm not being a servant like Jesus. That's the more the opportunity for us to pay the price, to get rid of the sin, so that we can be the people that God wants us to be, separate from sin, devoted to his glory, holy. Number next, What happens if I mess up? What happens if I can't live perfectly? What happens if I sneeze in a clean room? (laughs) What happens if something happens in the lab and the clean room needs to be cleaned, so to speak? God knew there was nobody, save Jesus, who was going to be able to live the law perfectly. You realize that? God gave a law that people couldn't live up to. Perfectly, that they couldn't hold on to the principles and the the ideals of it, one hundred percent. In fact, when we look at the new law, and the fact that God knew all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, Romans three, verse twenty three, that there is none righteous, no, not one, Romans chapter three and verse ten, that the wages of sin is death, Romans six and verse twenty three. God knew that we would need something that would be able to cleanse us, that would be able to renew that holiness, so to speak, that would be able to cause us to realize once again that we were made holy, therefore we need to devote ourselves even more to living holy lives. How did he do that for these Old Testament folks? Immediately after the Ten Commandments, notice in Exodus 20 all the way through, he begins to talk about things like sacrifice, sacrifice so much so that he's even going to give them a place where they can sacrifice look at exodus chapter 25 and verse 8 as he talks about sacrifice of material goods there in exodus 25 verses 1 through 7 what's the reason god why do you need to sacrifice to god he says because i want you to make me a tabernacle so that i can dwell among my holy people and as the people began to offer the things made for the tabernacle and then put the tabernacle, put the tabernacle together and then de- dedicate the tabernacle to sanctify it. That happens in Leviticus chapter 9 Leviticus chapter 10. And the people begin to set, apart, set it apart for service and the first offerings are made. What happens is God's glory comes down and fills the entire tabernacle. God says, I give my seal of approval on this. This place is holy. It's sacred. It's set, it's set apart for my glory. But then the people, as they begin to have to offer things, I didn't treat my neighbor the way that I ought to. I'm unclean. I'm defiled. I want to be holy again. You would take that bull or that sheep, you would take that animal, and you would go and you would offer it, and they would make atonement, at-one-ment with God so that God says our relationship is good. You're holy, don't become unholy. You keep my covenant, you follow the sacrifices. What sacrifice do we bring? What sacrifice do we bring to God? A humble and contrite heart, Psalm 51. An attitude that is humble and says, God, I need your grace. God, I need your mercy and your forgiveness. By what basis does God grant that? I'll give you a hint. People are made clean by blood. Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. I understand that from the book of Hebrews. But what blood did we was shed for us? But what blood makes us clean? It's the blood of Jesus Christ. The one-time offering for all. That after he had offered himself once, he sat down at the right hand of God because his work as our high priest was finished. And so the renewal that we have, the fact that we can come to God at any time and say, I plead the blood of Jesus Christ. I need the forgiveness of my sins. We know 1 John chapter 1, verses 7-9 through says, as we confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins. His blood is able to wash those things away because we recognize that we're not perfect. And the time that I stop pleading for His blood and the time that I stop pleading for forgiveness based upon His blood... It's the time I've ceased to be holy. It's the time I've left that for the defilement of the world, for the uncleanness of that. But as I plead that again and again and again and again, as often as I am not the person I ought to be, I know he forgives me. And I know that he allows me to continue in a holy relationship. Friends, we dealt with this a few weeks ago on Wednesday evening and talking about Holiness and talking about worship. Oh, worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. We get the mistaken view of worship sometimes that I can live however I want to in the world from Monday to Saturday. And I can get as dirty as I absolutely want to with sin and with all the things that this world has to offer. All of the things that are passing away. 1 John 2 verses 15 through 17. Lust of the flesh, lust of the eye, pride of life. And I can busy myself and not think a thing about God And then when I come into worship, it's like God taking a hose, like parents, I know that you've done to your children after they've been rolling around in the mud and just spraying us off and saying, all right, you're good for another week. There's a heart and a mindset problem. If we get the idea that we come into worship to be made holy, that's not the view of the Psalm. Psalm 96, we worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. We worship God because we're holy. We're set apart from sin and devoted to His glory. And that's what makes worship really beautiful. It's not a matter of us living like the world Monday through Saturday and then having God cleanse us of everything and we're good by the Lord's Supper. It becomes, a, it becomes a farce for what it really ought to be. But when we understand our holy lives and how we're supposed to live holy lives, it makes a huge difference. Specially designed. Specially designed. Our clean room is specially designed to develop the next great iPhone. Clean room is spe- specially designed to cure the world's diseases, the Clean room is designed for a specific purpose. What are you designed for? What are you designed for? God's made each one of us, and He's made each one of us with a very particular purpose. In fact, one of the things our young people struggle with are three questions three basic questions Who am I? What am I doing here? And where am I going? Those three questions really become a hallmark of the struggle that a whole lot of our teens and a whole lot of our young people go through as they grow. Who am I? What am I doing here? And where am I going? What God has given us in answering each one of those questions is an understanding of our special design in his life. Who are you? You're somebody that's made in his image. You're made in the image of God. God breathed into your nostrils the breath of life. God made you in his image. Genesis chapter 1, Genesis chapter 2. Formed of the dust of the ground. God wanted something that was a stamp of who he was as a God, as an infinitely good creator. And he put his seal and his stamp on you. You're an image bearer of him. That's a whole lot more than what our scientists, what our teachers tell our children about how they were evolved from monkeys or lesser life forms, God says, you're made with this particular stamp of my image. What am I doing here? Who am I? I'm a person made in his image. What am I doing here? A whole lot of people would just say I'm surviving. <laughs> I'm living from paycheck to che- paycheck. I'm, I'm uh, uh, making it, faking it till you make it. I'm continuing on, trying to keep the ends together, trying to keep my family on the ground. What are you doing here? God says your purpose here on this earth is to glorify him. To glorify him. Whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Colossians three seventeen. Whether you eat, whether you drink, do all to the glory of God. 1 Corinthians 10, verse 31. Your purpose here is far more than just making a paycheck. Your purpose here is far more than the recreation that you love so much. Where am I going? Where am I going? I'm going to the greatest of all possible places made possible by the God who put his image on me, who made me t- devoted to his glory, but then has promised me the best that's coming. He's promised that for everybody. The grace of God that brings salvation has appeared unto all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present age. Titus chapter 2, verse 11 and following. What God has done for us is he's taken us out of the muck, He's put us in this holy position and said, you pursue this because you're specially designed for that work. You're specially designed because it's not a matter of you just existing here on this earth and then dying one day. God says, I'm preparing you for heaven to be in my presence always. And we will not see the Lord if we are not a holy people. We will not be in his presence if we're not cultivating daily the saying no to sin. And the saying yes to what pleases God. Because that's the purpose for which he's made us. And when he talks about us being holy, folks, realize that those of us who are already Christians, we've already said, yes, I want that. Are we living a life that accords with holiness? Are we behaving as people who are motivated by the holiness of God? There was a story of a man... Who went out in the marketplace. He was not a man of means. He didn't have a whole lot of money. And as he went out in the marketplace, he found a very beautiful vase, and he was just captivated by this vase. And he looked at that vase, and and it just had an iridescent quality to it, something that he couldn't quite capture. He was attracted to this vase, and he didn't quite know why. And so with great sacrifice, the man went, and he bought the vase. He took it home with him, and he said, I've got to find the best place to my house to put this vase. And so he put it up there on the mantel. And every day as he went by and as he looked at that vase sitting there on the mantel, you know what he realized? It's what we realize sometimes whenever we clean one part of the house, how much the rest of the house is not clean. He began to look at the walls and how the walls were kind of dirty. And so he went down and got a can of paint and began to paint the walls. And then he noticed how dingy the floor was. And he went down and got a mop and began to clean the floor. And then he began to notice how dreary and how drab the the furniture was and the drapes and all those things. And slowly but surely, that vase made a difference because of its presence there in his home. And it's completely transformed from the inside out that man's home. What God's presence does in our lives or what it ought to do is every day that we go and we glimpse a glory of how wonderful he has been and how marvelous his works have been and we start looking at that and we see his glory and his holiness, it ought to motivate us to take a good, hard look at our lives and say, I see this is out of place. I see that this is not what it ought to be or what it can be, and I want to change I want to wash. I want to cleanse. I want to get rid of the cobwebs, so to speak, in my mind and my heart. I want to get rid of the dark places in my mind and in my heart. I want to shine the light of the gospel and the light of Jesus on those dark places so that I can be transformed from the inside out. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works. You know where those come from? They come from the inside. They come from who we are on the inside and how well we're pursuing holiness after people being made holy. Is that you? Is that me? Is that the way we behave? For those of us that may need prayers and comfort, encouragement, ways that we can be strengthened, we're going to offer an invitation at this time. For those who have never obeyed the gospel before, God is standing with his hand outstretched through Jesus Christ and saying, Trust in me, obey my voice, come into a right relationship with me, and you will have the blessing of living a holy life devoted to his purpose separate from sin. Let's stand and sing our invitation song.